When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The Cyclone Fanatic Podcast is fueled by Cody Rhodes and recorded in the Wild Rose Casino and Hotel Studio. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Reaction Time, courtesy of our friends at Fairway. Um, Ben and I took a week off thanks to a sickness hitting me again, literally just like three weeks after I'd gotten sick from being in Atlanta, so... Apologies for the absence. Ben, as always, thank you for being such an understanding co-host. I mentioned this in our content meeting this week, and Connor was like, oh, I I would have been happy to do an episode with Ben if you were sick. (laughs) And I was like, no, that's okay. (laughs) That would have been an experience. (laughs) I would... I would be very curious what kind of podcast Connor could produce for 45 minutes about college wrestling. (laughs) That would be very interesting. Racing, absolutely. Wrestling, <laughs> it would have been it would have been interesting. The curiosity would have got the best of me, and I would have done it just to see what would have happened. But <laughs> I think this is probably going to end up being better. <laughs> Connor, if you're listening, I love you. <laughs> you're the best, Connor. But yeah, so you know, a lot a lot has happened. Um, thankfully, I, like I said, I'm I was sick, but no longer sick, so I'm all ready to catch up on what we missed. Um, we definitely have three, I mean, three solid duels to discuss and we are literally a week away. I guess not literally, maybe essentially a week away from big 12s, which is just insane. This came way too fast, but you and I, I got the chance to go over to Cedar Falls, love nothing more than driving over there two years in a row. So I'm excited not to do that next year, but Iowa state came out victorious. They beat Northern Iowa. Ben, you watched it from home, but I mean, just to dive right into it, you know, what were your takeaways and really your assessment from Iowa state's performance? I liked Iowa state's performance a lot, pretty much from top to bottom. Uh, Doug Schwab always puts out a good product. He always puts out good wrestlers. Um, and I liked what I saw from almost everyone. And Kevin Dresser kind of threw the kitchen sh- kitchen sink at him too, with uh, <laughs> throwing Ethan Perriman at 125 out there against Kyle Gohoffer. And Ethan Perriman, I think this is his, his. No, it wasn't his last match. His last match he could wrestle was against Missouri. So this was his second to last match before before he burned his red shirt. And he showed that he's going to be a very, very good wrestler for Iowa state for the next four years. Uh, he, he did lose eight to six to Goldhofer, 
but man, he, he had some nice moves in that match that really, it gets you excited as a, a person who follows Iowa state wrestling or as a fan of Iowa state wrestling, because he's going to be really special, uh, in these next couple of years. Then outside of that match, um, Casey Swiderski started, you could see, started to get back on track. Um, he went through a really rough patch and Doug Schwab even said it on our podcast. Like that kid's never lost six or seven matches in a row in his life. Like he's never gone through losing streak like that. So how does he handle it mentally and things like that? And Brett Metcalf and Kevin Dresser have said similar things like, Hey, we just got to get him over the hump mentally. And we saw it against Kel Happel, who's a top 10 wrestler, number seven, Swiderski lost four to three, but you could see that something switched in Swiderski and he looked a lot better in that match. Um, Panero Johnson won great. David Carr looked phenomenal against number 13, Austin Yant won 20 to six darn near tech fall. Um, MJ Gaetan again, similar to Ethan Perriman, true freshman. And we got to see his potential. The coaches have been hyping him up, um, since he stepped on campus and he beat a very good Lance Runyon nine to five. He was losing that match. I think it was, uh, was it three to one Jackie going into the third period? And then Gaetan gets two takedowns and four near fall and wins that matches. Was that the score when that happened? Do you remember? Yeah, I, I have to pull that up, but yeah, it was that third period where it was just like a flurry of suddenly it's like Gaetan got him to his back and got those near fall points, which is just awesome. Like you said, they've been hyping him up and people I've spoken to within the program have said like, give it time and he's going to be your favorite. So I am excited for dresser that in this situation, trying to, you know, throw some funk in there worked out for him this time. Um, since we didn't quite see that, unfortunately, when he tried that same exact move, uh, against Iowa, but yes, that third period kind of made you hold your breath there for a second. Yeah. I thought he was going to get the pin there for a second when he had him on, when he, when, uh, Gaetan had Lance running on his back, was like, Oh my gosh, he might pin him here. He didn't <laughs> end up getting pinned and then got four near fall, which is, I mean, not just as good, but very good. So that was a fun match. And then Parker Keckheisen did beat uh, Marcus Coleman, seven to five. Coleman started the match off with a takedown. I think Schwab kind of tried to dismiss it saying uh, Keckheisen stunned himself a little bit, just a little stinger or something. And that's the only reason Marcus was able to get that takedown. <laughs> I'm not sure I totally buy that, but um, maybe that's my Iowa State bias showing through there. Uh, but Marcus Coleman did lose, but he showed improvement, um, from previous matches before. I think this was probably the first takedown Marcus has got against Kekheisen. So, um, that is promising. And then Bastida beat Wyatt, a uh, true freshman Wyatt Volker. And that's a, if you're a UNI fan, you're excited about the future with Wyatt Volker. He's going to be very, very good. I covered him when he was at, uh, West Delaware, uh, down there near Cedar Rapids and that kid's good. He's a true freshman. He wrestled younger Bastida better than most guys in the nation. For sure. So um, if you're you and I I'd be really excited before Wyatt Volker and then Sam Schuyler does what Sam Schuyler does. He closed out the duel. He beat Tyrell Gordon four one and the match wasn't even that close. So um, overall, I liked what I saw a lot from the Iowa state guys against you and I, you know, it's funny. I talked to Sam Schuyler after the match and he was like, you know, I was glad not to have to 
go into that carrying such a heavy weight this time. It's nice to take a little break here, here and there. So, um, I will say it was a relaxing time that side, <laughs> um, unlike last year where you felt like your heart was going to fly out of your chest with just how crazy it was in there. And I'll, I'll give Iowa state that I think they definitely had a more dominant win this time. You could definitely feel it in the arena that Iowa state was going to win it. Um, and I mean, I shared Doug Schwab's post dual presser. He is just, I, I wish I I've said this before. I wish I had a reason to cover him because I almost want to say that he's almost even more, um, what's an, an, what's the word here? Even more off the cuff than dresser. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably accurate. Yes. Like, I think dresser's pretty good about knowing, you know, when he wants to, just keep his mouth shy and doesn't really want, doesn't really want to give too much of a rise. Whereas I feel like Schwab is just going to give it to you exactly how he's feeling it. And that's exactly what he did in the postal presser. He dropped a lot of swear words and just was pretty pissed. (laughs) (laughs) What he said essentially that, you know, unfortunately Iowa state did silence. Um, It wasn't a record crowd. I saw someone did, did correct that. Um, they had over 5,754 fans in attendance. They thought that it had been their like record wrestling crowd, but I believe I can't remember who it was. It might've been Nick Ryder with IA wrestle who said they had a larger crowd against a duel years ago against Iowa. I think it was, mm-hmm. which in the grand scheme of things, when you look back at the last time that would have happened, it's been a long time, long time. Yeah. So it Iowa doesn't still... wrestle you and I anymore. <laughs> yeah. So Still a record crowd, I would say, in this situation. Um, it was pretty packed, and I will say there was way more Iowa State people there this year than there was last year. Mm, I was going to ask you about that because it kind of sounded like that uh, <clears throat> overflow wrestling, which is unfortunately the only way this was being broadcast on the TV. <laughs> um, because there were times it was like, oh, boy, that got pretty loud there for whatever takedown, let's say David Carr takedown. I was like, oh, it got pretty loud there. So I was going to ask you about the split of the crowd um, at UNI. You know what? It was definitely still like 70, 30, but okay. what Iowa state fans were, there were very loud. I think it was during the Reading match when he won in sudden victory four to two. It was just absolutely insanity in there. Like it was so loud. Cause I get, you know, I get tunnel vision when I'm watching these guys down there, but I suddenly looked up and I was like, Oh, <laughs> almost feels like Hilton there for a second with how loud they had it. So that was pretty that was pretty cool. I will give Iowa State fans credit there that there were quite a few that made the trip. So it was a it was a good time as always. Um definitely somehow I left before Cody Goodwin this time, which usually I'm the last one that leaves. So but no, atmosphere was great. I'll give you and I that. It was it was a good time. It's always fun. Um I will say one of my favorite moments was when Doug Schwab chucked the challenge brick. I can't remember now which match it was, but he picked it up and literally just like, like pitched it. And I don't even, th- I really don't believe it was intentional, but just like the way he pitched it went straight to dresser. Cause it was dresser who picked it up and chucked it back at it. <laughs> and so, you know, that's, that's what you're getting. You're in the heat of the moment, you're feeling it. And I just thought that was so funny. So I think, yeah, like we've said, this rivalry just, it's hard not to enjoy those moments, even when you're down there (laughs) trying to see who's going to come out on top. Um, 
But yeah, I guess I would say that my highlight moment was MJ Gaetan, just because I know also when you look at it from his perspective, he's a freshman getting a win on the road in this, you know, essentially hostile environment because it's not mm-hmm. like you and I fans are excited. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're sitting there listening to their head coach talk about how, oh, we're going to put the Iowa State fans in the upper deck and I'm going to take down their coach. <laughs> and, you know, he's getting thrown into this rivalry week for the first time and he gets to get a win in that type of uh, style. It's just like, I bet that's such an unmatched feeling for him. So I was pretty pumped to see that. And I, I think that was probably, I think, a really good moment. And really, I think he, if anything, he almost swung it to where I would say probably was feeling pretty good about the rest of the matches, regardless of how the 184 match was going to result, which we've talked about this before. Parker Kaizen is just a really tough matchup for Coleman. And walking into it, I had Kaizen winning. So, oh, for sure. Yeah, I had Kaizen winning for sure. I know Marcus Coleman beat Aaron Brooks, number one Aaron Brooks of Penn State earlier in the year, but that match doesn't really impact anything about the match against um, Kaizen. They're very different wrestlers. And Coleman, it's a tough matchup against Kaizen for Coleman. So um, it's one of those things when the NCAA tournament comes out when they do their drawings and their seedings and such, I would not be mad if Marcus Coleman was the four seed and Kaizen was the two seed because then they'd be on opposite side of the brackets and Coleman would have to go through Aaron Brooks, which isn't ideal. There's no <laughs> easy path to a national championship, but Coleman has proven he can beat Aaron Brooks. He's never beaten Parker Kaizen. So, um, when brackets get released and seedings get released, you might kind of hope for Coleman to be a four seed instead of the three seed. So, um, but that's for, that's for future Ben, Jackie, and all our state <laughs> fans to worry about. Um, we got to get through big 12s first and who knows, maybe Coleman figures it out and beats Keck guys in that big 12s. That'd be kind of fun. Well, like you said, he looked a lot better than he has. Like there were moments where I was like, Hmm, maybe Marcus can swing this. And I feel like Marcus, because it's his last year and you know, he has that mentality. I mean, your mentality has to switch gears when it's quite literally the end. Like there is no, oh, I'll get him next year. Yep. So I could see him maybe swinging it at big 12s, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see how that all works out. Like you said, next week, we'll definitely be deep diving into all of that. Um, but we can definitely keep going. Beauty and the Beast, first time experiencing that. Um, for those of you who maybe don't quite know what it was, basically wrestling and gymnastics held their meets at the exact same time. I had no idea how it was going to work out. And once I was there, it was just very interesting. I think the music is what threw me off the most and dresser made a joke about it in the postal presser about how, if they could just turn it down two notches. And I agree because I'd be like, I'd be trying to watch, I don't know, Casey Swiderski's match. And I suddenly hear Luke Combs blasting in the back after (laughs) Justin Bieber was just playing. So, and I couldn't see my back was turned to gymnastics. So I was just like, what is it they're doing back there that Luke Combs is blasting and not even like party Luke Combs, like romantic slow song (laughs) Luke Combs. It was a very interesting experience. They had over 8,000 fans in attendance, which was pretty cool. Yeah. They had fans like they didn't fill up the upper deck. 
but the upper deck was as full as it's been for wrestling meet since an Iowa dual meet. Like there were a lot of people in the upper deck. Um, and I loved the environment. The music was too loud. And the last time they had the beauty and beast back in 2017 against Arizona state, uh, it wasn't that loud, at least by my memory, it wasn't that loud. So I think this was a situation of maybe the person in Hilton who is controlling the dials had it at 11 and should have had it at seven. <laughs> like this isn't one of those things where you crank it past 10. You, it needs to be within reason here. So I think, um, music aside, it was a phenomenal environment. And I remember thinking during the first match, the Caleb Feasley match who he beat Maximo Renteria of Illinois six to four in sudden victory. When he got that takedown in sudden victory, Hilton got really, really loud and I was, there was a family sitting in front of me with uh, his husband, wife, and two daughters. And from what I under, from what I could tell, most of their attention was being paid to the gymnastics side of things. But when Feasley got that takedown, even they got up on their feet and they got excited and cheered. So uh, it was a really cool environment. It was awesome to see people who were probably there for gymnastics cheer about wrestling. And then even when I remember a couple of vaults where it was probably in between a match or something. And Iowa state gymnast did a, I don't know anything about gymnastics, a cool flippy spinny thing. <laughs> and Hilton got really loud for that too. The wrestling fans were cheering for the gymnasts. The gymnastics fans were cheering for the wrestlers. I thought it was an awesome environment in that sense. Um, and if we get the music turned down to seven in the next one, that'd be even better. <laughs> no, yeah, I would agree. It was really cool when I was looking around to just hear how loud people were, which I think is especially cool. And, you know, it's one of those bittersweet moments where this was Marcus Coleman and Sam Schuyler's last time ever wrestling in Hilton. And they both got wins. Marcus Coleman got a tech fall and Sam Schuyler got a decision win. And I should say, got to give, um, Coleman credit here. He did it in five minutes, five, five forty-two. So, um, it got pretty loud for them. And I'm sure that was a very, you know, unique and fun experience. I think regardless of how the duel was set up because of gymnastics, I'm sure it's still a really cool feeling to finish out your last match at Hilton ever with such a loud and, you know, just explosive, um, fan attendance. So I thought that was pretty cool. And I believe Sam Schuyler came in. Did he come into the room? Now I can't remember. Nope. We talked to for, Coleman. For the press conference? Yes. It was Coleman and... We had Swiderski and Coleman. Yeah. We okay, had Swiderski yes. and Coleman. I was like, gosh, that feels so long ago. It was. Um, it was forever ago. It was. Yeah, but it feels like it. Yes. Coleman did say it was... It was a definitely fine environment. So I will say that that was a pretty cool part. And yeah, shout out to Caleb Feasley, who's really stepped up at 125 with all of the injuries, unfortunately, the hit Tarakina and Kaban Bond, but definitely a fun way to get it. Obviously, don't love when matches going to sudden victory. You want to see guys get those handled before that, but that was fun. And I'm glad he could have that because, yeah, Hilton was pretty, pretty loud. Yeah. I, I like you said, Caleb Feasley, the way he stepped up this year as a, he was a recruited walk-on, right? So the coaching staff knew he existed, but he didn't get any scholarship money. 
So the fact that he's been able to step in and provide Iowa State really with a decent 125 pounder that can get division one wins is incredible because Jack, you remember this dresser's first year. Again, they went through a few 125 pounders, but by the time it got to, uh, Oh, what was his name? Oh, Are you the thinking... last one. The guy dresser's but... first year. And he's the one that he joked about recruiting him at a seven 11. Oh, oh, um, oh gosh. Now I'm drawing a blank. Yeah. We've come a long way since him. <laughs> so, <Yes. laughs> uh, it wasn't John Marmolello. That no. was a different guy. He's a different guy. 125. Um, we'll think about Sinjin. it. Sinjin. Sinjin Briggs. Thank you. Yes. yes. Sinjin Briggs. <laughs> Yeah, Caleb Feasley is not Sinjin Briggs. I love Sinjin by all accounts. Great guy. And the fact that he stuck stuck on the team after that says a lot about him. He was not a Division I wrestler. He was a guy that Dresser literally pulled out of a classroom and said, hey, you wrestled in high school and you can make weight. Please wrestle for us. And he did. And he never won. So, um, yeah, huge shout out to Caleb Feasley. That was awesome. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And then... Going to the next thing that's awesome, speaking of freshmen, uh, Casey Sperderski, man, oh, man, he finally got off the schneid. He beat uh, Danny Pacino from Illinois 10-7, and he had like four or five takedowns, something like that. And his pace, his attack rate was phenomenal. And uh, Brett Metcalf said this later, but Sperderski was in on three or four more attacks that he could have had takedowns. Now you're going to take wins when you're Swarovski at this point, but really if you tweak just a few things, Swarovski is going to get two to three more takedowns in that match and really try to blow that thing open. So uh, it was really good to see Casey Swarovski wrestle that type of match this late in the season after that losing streak that he had uh, because he is, he's too talented to, to lose seven in a row. Right. I mean, he's too good for that. So it was really good to see him get back on track. And hopefully as we get into big 12s and NCAs, let's not get ahead of ourselves. He's not going to earn an allocation for NCA. So he's going to have to steal a spot at big 12s. Hopefully when big 12s come around, he's wrestling like that because if he does, he will steal an allocation and he will be at the NCAA tournament in March. So um, I love seeing that from Sardarski. Which is what I was going to say. Like you said, he's going to have to steal one, but I think he's fully capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, it sucks when you look at guys <laughs> that are indeed, what, 18, 19 years old. That's tough. It is hard to go from being at the top of your state. You're in high school. That's where you're competing. And then suddenly you're thrown into the gauntlet that is college wrestling. And again, I, I don't want it to sound like I'm making excuses either. It's just a matter of, that's just the situation. I mean, I think even Panero's talked about it. 
about how, you know, it, it is a difficult transition. I'd have to go back and find that interview, but I mean, this is something, I mean, coaches say athletes say, so I'm definitely excited to see how Casey and Pinero compete next weekend in Tulsa for big 12s, because I mean, ultimately that's where the biggest test is. Right. And you're going up against all these guys that you've already went up against. So if there's a time to, as <laughs> what was it that Metcalf said to Casey, like you have the weapons now use them or something. Yes. Yep. Yep. So big 12. So that's where you, you gotta do it. You have no, I mean, at this point, it's the end of the season. Of course you got your goal is to get on the podium, but you've already lost. You've experienced losses already. So <laughs> might as well just throw it out there. So I'm definitely excited to see how those guys um, compete and yeah, just continue to see how those upper weights keep doing. Cause I mean, Marcus has been doing great regardless of younger's losses there. He had a five to three tough loss in, um, against Illinois. You could tell that younger was frustrated and he should be, um, Ben, I think you quoted it, right? What was it? Dresser said, yeah, in the post-duel press conference, um, Dresser said, Younger Bastida is this far away, and he held his hands very close from winning a national championship, but he's also this far away, and he held his hands far apart from winning a national championship. And what he was meaning by that is Younger Bastida's talent and skill level and ability are right there to being a national champion, right? Like, he is talented enough, athletic enough, skilled enough to win a national championship where he has to make up uh, some ground or where there's a gap right now in younger Bastida is he's a hard worker, but he's not an elite worker. Like David Carr is an elite worker. I think we can probably put Marcus Coleman in that camp. We can probably put Sam Schuyler in that camp of being elite workers because younger Bastida is more talented than Marcus and Sam Schuyler. That's just a fact. It is what it is. He's more talented. Than those guys. But those guys work so hard that they're able to close that talent gap that they might have against other people. And we're going to talk about Missouri here in a little bit, but the Missouri match for Sam Schuyler is a perfect example. Zach Elam is probably a more talented wrestler than Sam Schuyler, but Sam Schuyler has put in so much work in this last year, two years that he's not only closed that gap, Sam Schuyler never beaten Zach Elam before, but he's now surpassed Zach Elam pretty comfortably. Like, again, we'll talk about it, but Sam Schuyler beat Zach Elam five to three with two takedowns. He's the only guy to get a takedown in that match. And really he probably could have got more if he needed to, but he didn't need to. So younger Bastida is a good worker. And Kevin Dresser said this too. He works hard, but if he wants to win the national championship, he has to become an elite worker. Like he has to make himself feel it every day in the wrestling room. He has to make himself really tired. He has to blow his lungs out uh, because there are times when younger, his stance isn't perfect. And a guy like Zach Brunagel from Illinois is able to take advantage of that and get a takedown when really younger's quite a bit better than Zach Brunagel. So um, younger's really close winning a national championship in terms of skill level and things like that. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can close that other gap in these last few weeks slash month of the season. And I mean, I think this would be a fine time to talk about Missouri. And I really want to hit the David Carr yes, stuff hard after 
we go through some of those highlight moments and maybe some of those areas that we saw Iowa State struggle in before we really get to David Carr because as we get towards the end of the season, we get to this time where you're watching, you know, David Carr do exactly what he's good at. We just have not talked about him enough. And I tweeted mm-hmm. about it and it is a testament to his talent and his consistency and just Iowa State's growth. Iowa State has really put together a solid lineup, even with the injuries and even with growing pains with the new guys in the lineup. I think there's just so much talent with everybody else that it's so easy for us to be like David Carr. Good. He's going to show up today. Cause that's how I feel when I go into these duels, when we sit down to cover this podcast, I don't feel we have to spend way too much time on David because David's going to do what David does best. And I think we need to talk about it. (laughs) But like you said, I think, you know, that Missouri match, it was in Missouri. So you're already on the road. Um, And of course, coaches came together, I'm sure, and agreed. They had to close out the duel with 165. So they started at 174 with Julian Broderson. Unfortunately, that was a loss, seven to five. And then you kind of, you know, you go into the Marcus match, he wins. You have Younger, who again, talk about a guy who's been a tough opponent on him, Rocky Elam. Because, you know, we can't just have one Elam. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta have two of them. Yeah, we have Rocky, who's also been a tougher opponent for Younger and Honestly, this is kind of tough for me to watch just because you watched Younger get no points on the board. Yeah, he got ridden out. And uh, you saw him choose down, and I was really interested to see what would happen when he chose down because Younger's gotten better on bottom, but he's still not great. He really just relies on his athleticism to explode out of an explosive first move. But if he's not able to do that, he does still get stuck underneath. And Rocky Elam was able to control that first move from Younger and after that, he, it was it was tough sledding for younger. Uh, yeah, that was a tough match. And in, in March at Big Twelves, if they meet at NCAs, if they meet, I would be shocked if younger chooses down because there's just no reason to that younger be on his feet. That's where he's best. If he can't get an escape point, oh well, he can probably make it up with a takedown or two. So yeah, yeah that was tough to watch. It's like we go back to the throwback to this name when he chose down against AJ Ferrari, when we were like, why? I know Yeah. (laughs) someone the other day, (laughs) this is a hard side note. Someone randomly tweeted at me, God, I really miss having AJ in the lineup. I get why you do, but I don't think, (laughs) I don't think we need that energy. No, we don't need, we, we absolutely do not. Um, but I think when you look back at a match like that, it was like, why is coach doing this? You know, at the time, it makes sense. You gotta challenge him. You gotta force him to feel it, especially against then ranked number one AJ Ferrari. I feel like, and again, I'm not the coach, so obviously Dresser's gonna make the decisions. But I, like you said, in this situation against Rocky Elam, just stay up, just do what you're gonna do best. And yeah, that was tough to watch him get right now. And maybe you know what. Younger clearly needed that. He needed to have his face rubbed down in the mat and probably walk away with a sour taste in his mouth, which sucks. But hey, sometimes you just gotta gotta hit gotta hit the bottom before you go back up to the top. So quite literally, he he was he hit the bottom for sure. <laughs> his his face was all over the all over the mat. I think he got hit for stalling twice underneath. Yeah, that was that was tough. He was flat. 
he was flat there for a long time. Well, it's like he, you know, he was exposed. He was exposed in those areas coach was referencing when saying, you know, it's, it's not always about the flashiness and holding your foot up for 30 minutes, which it's a great thing to have. You should, I think everyone should have that because clearly it really works out in his favor more often than it doesn't. But yeah, when you're going up against Rocky Elam, it just, you, you cannot miss a beat and 197 continues to be a really tough weight. So, but I, I am confident that we'll see a solid younger at big 12s. And I'm just curious to see how he matches up against Rocky Elam again. Yep. Um, yeah, it should be those two in the NCAA or not the NCAA championships. That'd be cool, <laughs> but no, it should be those two at the big 12 championships in the finals. I really I would hope be so. shocked if it's someone else. Now I say that, but Luke Serber from Oklahoma state did beat Rocky Elam. I don't know how, but <laughs> he did because Luke Serber is a fine wrestler, but younger Bastida beat him seven to two or like eight to two or something like that. So, uh, Luke Serber is good, but not Rocky Elam or younger Bastida good. So I think that might've just been a hiccup from Rocky, but it just, it does go to show the depth of the entire weight class of 197 because Rocky Elam was ranked number one for most of this year um, up until he lost to Luke Serber and then Nino Bonacarsi, who younger Bastida should have beaten from Pitt, uh, is now ranked number one, I believe. So that's yep. a super deep weight class, a lot like 165. 165 might have more elite talent, but both weights are just as deep. Um, any, not anyone, but any one of the top five could realistically win that weight. I mean, it's going to be fine. And like I said, you can't, we can't just have one Elam. We have to have two and Sam Skyler. Once again, Zach Elam, it's one of those matches where it's like, you know, you just consistently continue to see it over the years. And Zach Elam and Zach, Sam Skyler is one of those, but thankfully Sam Skyler came out on top. So good for Sammy to end his dual season with a win over. He was ranked number seven at the time. I'm not sure what his ranking is now. I can look, um, gosh, where's he at now? Oh, nine. He dropped down to nine under Sam Skyler. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So he, you know, secured the match there five to three, I know people were feeling good about Iowa state going into this match, but it's when you look at these types of wins where Missouri was able to get a pin at 125 and unfortunately a pin at 149 that truly just really swung it their way. I'm very curious how it would have all ended had Panera not been pinned. Yeah, because, and we talked about this Panera wrestled better than Brock Mahler. I don't think that's really a question at all. Panero got pinned in the sudden victory and his mm -hmm. late in sudden victory. And Panero had taken four shots. He was in deep on the legs four times. One time it looked like it was a takedown. The uh, coaching staff, Kevin Dresser, challenged it. The referees looked at it for four minutes, and that's not an exaggeration. Longest, they looked at it for four minutes. Longest review. And... There were times as the announcers, the Missouri announcers, I want to give them credit. They were very good. And they were saying, yeah, Panero's behind him. Rear standing position. All Missouri guy, Brock Baller needs to do is have his hand on the mat, and that'd be two takedown. And they showed a camera angle where it sure looked like, yep, Panero was behind him and a hand was on the mat. So even the Missouri announcers are kind of conceding, yeah, that's probably a takedown. 
it ended up the call stood, which I can also understand as one of those indisputable, indisputable video review things. So was it indisputable? Maybe not. So that was a really tough one because that probably should have ended the match. But then stalling can also end the match, right? Like if you force two stall calls against a guy, that's a point and the sudden victory is over. Um, and Panera was the only one the entire match to take a committed shot. And Brock Mahler's only called for stalling once. And I don't want to be one of those guys or one of those people who is, oh, it should, there should have been more stalling. But that's one of those situations where I, when a guy takes, you know, six, seven, eight unanswered shots, maybe there should be more than one stall called. So I truly do think Panero wrestled a better match against Brock Mahler. Unfortunately, on his last shot attempt, he got whipped over and pinned. Uh, so that hurt a lot because like Jackie said, if that match goes differently, if Panero wins that one, what happens the rest of that match? So, or what, what happens to the rest of the dual meet? So that was a rough one for sure. Yes, which, I mean, oh, excuse me. Missouri was feeling so good. You know, obviously, Brock Mahler has every right to. I mean, you just pinned Pinero. He lost a team point for spiking his headgear, which I think you tweeted this. Um, just let them do it. Yes. <laughs> Why can't yeah. we just let athletes celebrate? No one's getting hurt. It's not offensive. It's not like these guys are taking their headgear and saying, this is my opponent's head. They're yeah. just fired they're not up. throwing it at the opponent either. So yeah, it, was, yeah. it was actually Jason Bryant who said, stop taking away team points. Jason Bryant is like the penultimate wrestling guru for NCAA wrestling. He, he announces all of the NCAA wrestling championships in the arena. He does a lot of stuff for the NCAA wrestling organization and USA wrestling. He's the guy when it comes to American wrestling. And he's like, stop taking away team points. And I quote tweeted that and said, not only should you stop taking away team points, spiking the headgear should be encouraged in big matches. <laughs> and Kevin Dresser actually liked that tweet. And someone responded to that tweet saying in 1986, Kevin Dresser spiked his headgear in Hilton Coliseum when he beat one of the Iowa state wrestlers. So <laughs> there's a little bit of, a little bit of history there. So no, I, even last year when younger Bastida spiked his headgear after beat Jacob Warner, that was awesome. And again, a team point got taken away. So we got to stop being so uptight about spiking headgear. It's fun, especially in big matches, right? If you're spiking your headgear after beating some kid who's seven and 14, that's not worth <laughs> it. But when you just beat a top 10 guy, absolutely go for it. I agree. I completely agree. Just let them celebrate. Just let them celebrate. Let them have fun. Like that's what we that's what we're watching for, right? So I it's entertainment. Let Brock Mahler chuck his headgear. No one's getting hurt. He's just doing his thing. Um, but unfortunately, going you know, it's one of those situations where it's like you're going into 165 and you're like, God, this is gonna be so fun. This is gonna be great. David Carr, I had every like I had no doubt in my mind that he was gonna win this personally. I felt he is better than Keegan O'Toole. I don't know if anyone else was nervous. I don't know if you were nervous, Ben, but it also just kind of sucked because you're like, well, the duel's over. <laughs> yeah, but... I had that same <laughs> deflated feeling. I'm like, golly, I wish this mattered more, but it clearly <laughs> mattered. Like it was uh, Flow Wrestling, other entities hyped this up as the match of the year for the regular season. And 
it kind of didn't live up to the hype. <laughs> like David Carr was almost too good for it. Like seven to he, two. Seven to two, he beat number one Keegan O'Toole, who hadn't lost in like 40 or 50 some odd matches. 41. Uh they're both <laughs> NCAA champions. They're both um junior world gold medalists, so the best in the world at their age at that time. So these are two really high-level wrestlers. And David took it to him. Like beat him seven to two. Got the first takedown, got the second takedown, won the scramble positions, rode him out for the entire third period. And it was just kind of like one of those things. The Missouri crowd got real quiet in that third period. Even the second period, like, oh boy, this is David Carr's a different kind of animal, man. He's he's taking it to Keegan O'Toole right now. And he did. That was a lot of fun to watch. And this is the defending 165 national champion. So like when we look at David bumping up a weight, you know, and David was great during weekly availability. I still can't believe that you and I were the only ones there. Um, I know. Because again, this was notched as the most anticipated matchup of the entire season. And so selfishly, it felt good to be there. <laughs> and yes, like you said, David um, snapped O'Toole's 41 match win streak, which is huge. And like you said, did it in a dominant fashion. And when we, you know, when we sit here and talk about David, this really could be the championship match again, come March, come big 12s next weekend. And David said that himself. He, he gave great quotes about how, when he made the decision to bump up and he's, he'd been talking about this even a year prior, finally actually doing it, that he wanted the challenge. He wanted to, you know, go up and go up against guys like Keegan O'Toole. And if that's not a testament to just David's confidence and talent and commitment to his craft to be like, you know what, I'm going up a weight because I want more of a challenge because he could easily just stay at 157 and just He'd keep dominating. easy this year. Exactly. And he didn't. And so David Carr is just insane. And I was actually thinking about this when I was writing um, about his honors, because not only he got three weekly honors, he got USA wrestling athlete of the week, big 12 and NCAA athlete of the week because of this win. I was like, how crazy is it that we get to just cover him in Ames, Iowa? Like, yeah, he is just so, so good. Like when you look at just the college landscape and when you look at the, you know, the dominant guys at other ways, you look at Spencer Lee in Iowa city, you look at, I mean, Yanni at, at Cornell, you look at all these different guys and looking at those guys from afar, I'm just like blown away by their talent. But then I think I take for granted that I've had, you know, it, it is a privilege to be able to just cover David Carr. Like we've covered David since his college career started. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's insane. And I'm so excited that I get to see him not only at big 12s, but NCAAs. Cause I just, he just looks so solid this year, even more solid than last year, which is just crazy to me when we sit and talk about David improving and how David continues to elevate himself. Because sometimes I'm like, how much higher can you go? No, I, that's actually a phenomenal point. I couldn't agree more. Like I thought David was obviously very, very good, but I always had that question in the background. I was like, okay, how much better can he really get? The answer is <laughs> a lot better. I mean, my goodness. 
The answer is a lot better. He looked so good against Keegan O'Toole, and I loved what Brett Metcalf said in the weekly availability as well about that matchup of, I like David Carr if Keegan O'Toole pushes the pace, but I also like David Carr if Keegan O'Toole decides to not wrestle him. And credit to Keegan O'Toole, truly, he wrestled David Carr. You and me have both seen guys refuse to wrestle David Carr. We've seen Wyatt Sheets. We've seen Jared Franick. We've seen those guys <laughs> back up the whole time, wrestle from a knee and refuse to wrestle him. And David Carr wins those matches. It's very rare that a guy actually wants to wrestle David Carr and credit to Keegan O'Toole because he did. But for Keegan O'Toole, he found out that David Carr is a, on a different level right now. Right now he was that on that Wednesday night, David Carr is on a different level. I'd love for him to still be on a different level come Big 12 championships and NCAA championships. I hope he is on that different level because if he is, it's going to be a lot, a lot of fun to watch. But one is just Brett Metcalf hit the nail on the head where if Keegan O'Toole wrestles David Carr and pushes pace, Brett Metcalf said he sees himself, he sees David Carr separating himself from Keegan O'Toole. And that's exactly what we saw when Keegan shot a shot, when he actually tried to attack David's legs, David was able to counter it and turn it into his own offense. And that was one thing I've always kind of questioned with David because we never saw it, right? We've seen guys like Wyatt Sheets back up or wrestle over knee. They don't take committed shots against David. So you don't really see David's counter offense and both Metcalf and St. John said, that David is phenomenal in scramble situations, which is Keegan O'Toole's best situation, best position. Keegan wants to be in scrambles. And they, both assistant coaches said that they like David in that situation. And I, when they both said them, it's like, oh boy, really? Because we'd never seen it. David is always so perfectly positioned and his technique is always so good and so on point that he never gets into scramble positions. He's never in that situation where guys on his leg or anything like that because he's always just, he's too busy getting takedowns to be in a scramble position. So when David and Keegan got into a scramble and David won the position easily and got a takedown without, it was a lot of effort. I don't want to say without much effort, but without a lot of rolling around, it's like, oh my gosh, this is like the improvement that I wasn't sure David could make. Like how much more room is there to a ceiling? Turns out there's quite a bit. So uh, I loved this match from David and just to build off that even more to gush over him even more. David's riding is so underrated. He is known for getting takedowns. It's similar to the scramble position situation. He's too busy getting takedowns to ride guys. Like there's no reason for David to ride. No offense to Austin Yant, but Austin Yant <laughs> from you and I, like he doesn't need to ride him, but guys like Keegan O'Toole guys like Kennedy Monday earlier this year, Kennedy Monday is going to be an all American this year. For those who are unaware, he bumped up for 157 to 165. He'll be an all American. And he's I think, currently ranked number three or number four. David wrote out both Keegan O'Toole and Kennedy Monday this year for the entire third periods. His riding is so underrated and so much more improved from last year that when he needs to ride someone he does, and he's very good at it. Well, to throw some David Carr stats at you. Yes, do that. The, he finished the regular season with 72 takedowns and only <laughs> allowed three. 
Oh, that's unbelievable. Which is a 24 to one ratio. And he posted a 20 and O record with victories against eight wrestlers ranked inside the top 15. Thank you to Andy for that information, the SID for Iowa state wrestling. Um, yeah, like you said, it is just, and I mean, and also this, that's 26 consecutive, um, wins for David. Like we, again, we are just so comfortable with his consistency and his, just the way he shows up for himself and his team is just insane. And not to mention that we're covering a guy who is just so humble and just only wants to talk about his teammates. So it was kind of fun to kind of push him to talk about himself because he doesn't tend to do it. He really doesn't. He's very and, uncomfortable talking about himself. Very uncomfortable. He and, does not like it. <laughs> and if you watch the interview that Ben and I did with him, you can tell because right off the bat, I just asked him, I said, Hey, what are you feeling about this matchup? And kept it very short. I think he gave me like a sentence or two. And then he kind of like relaxed a little and he kind of you know, gave us more and more, but the most animated he got was when, you know, he was praising the challenge that Keegan O'Toole is, how excited he is to have someone he'll continue to compete against the way his dad did against, um, Quincy oh Monday. yes, Quincy, I was Kennedy's dad. dad. Yeah, it's Kennedy's dad. So it's just like, you know, he gets so animated about his competition and his teammates and just so awkward about himself, but God, he is just so good. And I'm just pumped because even sometimes when people are, you know, especially now are starting to ask, like, how do you feel about how Iowa State's going to compete? How do you think they're going to do it NCAAs? And I know when you look at it from a perspective of, okay, I'm making this drive to Tulsa, right? How's Iowa State as a whole going to do? I don't know. I don't. I feel really confident about how Marcus Coleman's going to do, how Sam Skyler's going to do, and I'm very curious to see how everyone else matches up, you know? But when I think about it, if all I got out of it was David Carr, I, that's worth it in my book is the way I see it. And I don't think that's the case for Iowa State anymore, which is, again, a really big testament to how much the team has grown because I don't think it's a – I don't think I'm going to – NCAAs just to watch David Carr do well. I think Iowa State's going to have several guys do well. But yeah, I just, like I said, David is just so good and we take it for granted and we need to talk about it more. <laughs> so I agree. That, that That's all I got. That, that's my rant for the day. <laughs> it's not really even <laughs> a rant because everyone agrees. And everyone, yeah, if yeah. they don't agree, they don't know wrestling. David Carr has proven himself to be the best guy at 165. And we'll see what happens in a week and a half when they meet at Big 12s because those two are going to meet in the championship Mm -hmm. of the Big 12s. That's going to happen. So we'll see what happens then. And then we'll see what happens at NCAs where, hey, they might meet again for a third time. And if they do, I hope they do. And if they continue to meet, if they do meet two more times, I hope Keegan O'Toole continues to push the pace, not just because I think that gives David a better chance. I do think that I think that is a thing, but also it's more fun to watch that way. When guys are wrestling from a knee or not engaging with David, it's David does well in those situations. That's fine, but it's not as fun. I like (laughs) guys who are willing to throw it out there. And that's truly what I appreciate appreciated about what Keegan O'Toole did. He threw it out there. David threw it out there. And we saw two guys who are both national championships champions and gold medalists go against each other. And that was 
it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I just feel like Keegan O'Toole isn't going to shy away from those. At least I hope. I really hope that this match only, you know, set a fire in him to just continue to want to do those and try his best to come out the winner instead of letting this make him conservative against David. Yeah. So no, I'm with you. And one, I want to make one last comment point about this and it, go, it builds off your stuff about David Carr winning 20, whatever straight matches and being undefeated this year. I saw some talk after David beat Keegan O'Toole of David being the number one pound for pound wrestler in the NCAAs. I don't think that's the case. I'd still pretty handily give that to Spencer Lee at Iowa, but it did get me thinking about the Hodge trophy. And for those I that don't know the other day, the Hodge trophy is the Heisman of wrestling. And I think David is probably in a decent position. I'm not saying he's going to win it, but he's put himself in a good position to be in contention for it and maybe win it because I'm not convinced Spencer has wrestled enough matches to win it. He missed the whole first few months of the season. His first match was against Corey Caban from Iowa state. So I'm, I don't know if he was wrestled enough to win it there. Yanni hasn't wrestled enough to win it. Roman Bravo young hasn't wrestled enough to win it. In my opinion, so I'm interested to see how that voting goes because David's put himself in a position to potentially win the Hodge trophy this year. Well, and you know, it, this is a good thing to bring up because I was, I was actually going to text you and ask you, how do you feel about David's chances here? Cause this is really hard. It's the same thing as when, you know, everyone in college football sits down and, you know, compares all these guys about who can get it, whatever. Like you said, when you compare everyone and you look at the campaign that David has put on as someone who jumped up a weight, and how often do you see a guy just jump up a weight and have this dominant of a season? And if there's someone who knows if there is, I I don't know the answer of other athletes who have done it necessarily as well as David has. But I just... I think if there's a year where David looks solid for it, I feel like it's this year. It's, you know, it's his first year at 165. And yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'm going to be curious, curious to see how it goes. But yeah, like you said, I, I just, it, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the only, the first person who comes to my mind when you're talking about jumping up weight classes is Kyle Dake from formerly Cornell because he was the first and only guy to win a national championship at four different weights. Of course. Um, How could I so, forget that? Yeah. Besides him though, I mean, Kyle Snyder bumped up from 197 to heavyweight and he was obviously pretty down at heavyweight. Um, I'm trying to think of a little bit more recent last couple of years though. And I'm so sure for, there is someone, I'm sure someone exists, but. And for context, uh, if you're just someone who, you know, doesn't follow this very closely, the seven criteria that they look at is your record, your number of pins, general dominance, your past credentials, quality of competition, and your sportsmanship slash citizenship and heart. Right. So the only thing you could maybe knock David for is pins because he's not necessarily a pinner. He has a few this year, but that's not generally how he gets his wins. Right. I think Spencer every other the pinner. <laughs> right. Exactly. Every other one of those criteria, though. David puts a giant green check mark on. I mean, that's, 
if you were to find David Carr outside of the pins, it would be that list. He wins. Oh. He wins a lot. He generally dominates his opponents. <laughs> uh, he's a very good community member by, uh, by all accounts and having interacted with him, one of the nicest guys he'll ever talk to. And his opponents, he just wrestled number one guy in the nation during a dual meet. So uh, his opponents have been very good. I think he he checks a lot of boxes of that. Well, and I don't necessarily, I'm, I'm not rooting for two winners. Um, I'm not. In 2021, Spencer Lee and Gable Stevenson won it. And that makes sense. I get that. When you follow college wrestling, both of them getting it makes total sense to me. I think Spencer Lee was a very special circumstance after, you know, the whole winning a title with no ACLs. Um, yeah. So I get that. <laughs> I 100% get and respect that and they earned that. But I just, yeah, I feel like if there's a year where you really stood out and you just did a, just a few, I mean... I get it's hard when you look at this is I am. I mean, we're just rambling at this point. When you look at Spencer Lee, he continues to just do things that are just insane. And he's just such an accomplished athlete. But I feel like this is a year where David has a solid argument. And I know we're not the only ones I've seen it on Twitter. I've seen people making the argument for how this could swing his way. So it's going to yep. be a fun, fun postseason for us. <laughs> Very fun, which is exciting. So as we've rambled, I'm going to, we're going to end it there. <laughs> Perfect. Next, next week is big 12s. I'm sure coach will have plenty to say. Um, I'm excited to see, you know, those seatings. So yeah, excited you'll to see get... seatings. I'm excited to see who's going to wrestle at some weights. Who's going to go at 125. Who's going to go at 133. Um, those sorts of things. Because those are, I think those are the two big question marks for Iowa state this year on who's going to be competing for, uh, the cyclones at those spots. Yes. So the fun, the fun part of the season is here, right? As people like to say on Twitter, people don't, people don't wrestle duels anymore. So, <laughs> so we're, we're about except to see Iowa state. Yeah. Except Iowa oh, state, shoot. except Iowa state and dresser said it himself. So, um, as always, thanks for tuning in guys. Um, Ben and I are clearly very excited. We've had too much time off. I'm sure this podcast is very long at this point. So yeah, we'll, we'll be back next week as we deep dive into big 12 championships. So thanks for tuning in.